My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Well, welcome to another day as we go through the Word of God. So glad you're joining me as we continue this journey through the book of Matthew. Going to finish uh, the second half of chapter 3 today. Uh, we're going to look at uh, uh, from verse 7 to the uh, end of Matthew chapter 3. And I hope you join this journey. If you haven't had a chance to connect with me on all my social media platforms, links are in the description below. Podcast links, everything that I can do to help you get this uh this message out because I really want people to uh, be able to understand what the Word of God really means rather than just reading it and saying, oh, that, I read my Bible every day, but I don't know what it means. And this could be a great idea for you to do Bible studies with people that you know, maybe a life group, maybe a connect group. Uh, just sit down and go through. You can watch a video and then go through and, and talk about what it means for each of you. So today we're, we're finishing uh, chapter 3 of Matthew. And we're going to pick up from verse 7. And this is where John the Baptist has just started his ministry of baptizing people. And we, we start off in verse 7 and he says, But when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Who? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff and with unquenchable fire. I mean, what an amazing picture he's painting here. Just, just absolutely incredible. I mean, this just gives you an insight in John the Baptist into his personality and, and how he thought and how he communicated. Uh, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were coming. And, and this is our, our really our very first Bible introduction to these two religious groups in first century Judaism. Uh, they were actually very different. They were often in conflict with each other and they resent, represented the, pretty much most of the leaders of Judaism. Matthew Poole pointed out four things about the Pharisees. Pharisees. They believed that one was made righteous by keeping the law and they believed themselves to be righteous in this way. In other words, they had a lot of pride. They often misinterpreted the law. They held many traditions to be of equal authority to Scripture. And they were often hypocrites in their practice, neglecting the core and spirit of the law for aspects of outward observance. F.F. F. Bruce called the Pharisees legal precisions, virtuosi in religion. Of the Sadducees, F.F. F. Bruce said that they were men of affairs and of the world, largely of the priesthood class. So this is who these two groups of people were. And John says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? John was, what he was doing here, John the Baptist was accusing these people of wanting to appear anxious for the Messiah. Oh, yes, we're looking forward to the Messiah coming too. 
but not truly repenting, not truly preparing their hearts. And so John says, I want to see fruit of your worthy repentance. Now, why was John able to do this so accurately and with such great discernment? He had discernment because John was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. That's his story in Luke chapter 1. Now, Luke was one of the many people pre the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 who were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were particular people filled with the Holy Spirit for a particular task at a particular time. Samson, filled with the Holy Spirit, particular task, particular time. Gideon, filled with the Holy Spirit, particular task, particular particular time. Bezalel, filled with the Holy Spirit, particular task, particular time to build the Ark of the Covenant. That People being filled with the Holy Spirit was, was normal through the Old Testament, but it was always particular people, particular task, particular time. And John the Baptist was one of the last people pre the day of Pentecost to be filled with the Holy Spirit, particular task, particular time. So that meant he had a discernment about him that was different than other people. Now, many Pharisees and Sadducees uh, came for different reasons to John the Baptist for baptism. Uh, D.A. Carson said this, many may have come for baptism with the ostentation that characterized their other religious activities. They were showing the world how ready they were for the Messiah, though they had not truly repented. John reminded them that real repentance will show itself in their life, and it has to be a matter of living repentance, not just talking repentance. Now, most of the Jewish people believed in the wrath to come. The difference was who were going to be the targets of that judgment and that wrath. Because F.F. Bruce says they conceived of the judgment as concerning heathen people. He thought, John the Baptist, of it as concerning the godless people in Israel. Godless Jews was what John the Baptist was talking about. So we can learn a lot from John the Baptist's teaching when he says, flee from the wrath to come. David Guzik says this, this wrath is the wrath of God. This wrath is fair, it's well-deserved. This wrath is often ignored or disregarded because it's not immediate, it is to come. This wrath is not any less certain just because it is delayed and is to come. This wrath is terrible when it does come because it's God's wrath. And this wrath cannot be stood against. The only way to survive it is to successfully flee from it. And what John told them to do was flee. Flee implies immediate action, swift action, uh, no diversions, just straight movement. That's what John was talking about. And he says, don't think to say to yourselves, look, we've got Abraham as our father, so we're, we're sweet, we're totally fine. John warns them to stop trusting in their Jewish heritage because he said, it doesn't matter about your heritage, you have to truly repent, not just trust in what Abraham's done. Because it was widely taught that because of what Abraham had done, that was enough for Jews' salvation, any Jewish person's salvation, and that basically Jewish people couldn't go to hell. And John points out that these Pharisees and Sadducees uh, are from a different family. They're from a family of vipers, a brood of vipers, a family associated with serpents, which is the you know symbol of who the devil was. So that's where he goes on. He says, even now the ax 
axes laid to the root of the trees. Adam Clark says this about that statement. It has been well observed that there is an allusion here to a woodman who, having marked a tree for excision, lays his axe at its root and strips off his outer garment that he may wield his blows more powerfully and that his work may be quickly performed. Spurgeon said this about this verse. No mere pruning and trimming work did John come to do. He was the handler of a sharp axe that was to fell every worthless tree. <laughs> That's what John, John was, he was the real deal and meant business. And he said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. So, it wasn't identical to the same Christian baptism that we experience now because we experience a Romans 6 baptism into Christ because we're baptized after Jesus' death and resurrection. That was something that these people who were being baptized by John the Baptist were not baptized. They were baptized into the hope of that to prepare their hearts for Jesus so that when he did die and that he was resurrected again, that they would have a method of salvation. Because they couldn't identify with Jesus' death and, and burial and resurrection because it hadn't happened yet, whereas we can. And so that's what John was talking about. I baptize you with water unto repentance. And then he goes on and he says, okay, uh, this, this Messiah who's going to come, he has sandals and I'm not worthy to carry them. John recognizes his own place before Jesus, which I think is something very valuable for us. Even though John the Baptist did an amazing work, he was very humble in relation to his understanding of who he was before Christ. And he didn't consider himself uh, above anybody who he was calling to repentance. He knew where he stood in relation to Jesus, and he didn't become proud of the crowds that he drew or the response that he saw. And, and in saying all these things, John put himself lower in relation to Jesus than a normal disciple of a normal rabbi. Uh, because a rabbi's disciple was expected to act as if he was his master's slave. But even to, for a, a, a rabbi's dis, uh, disciple, uh, acting as a slave, removing somebody's shoe was too low a task. And John says, I'm not even worthy to do something that a disciple isn't even worthy to do. And, and, and so he was trying to paint the picture here of how low he was compared to Jesus. And he was saying, listen, the baptism, baptism I'm baptizing you with now is unto repentance, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, which must have been a mind blowing thing for him to say. Uh, his winnowing fan in his hand, thoroughly cleaning out the threshing floor. John, John's warning them to prepare for the Messiah's coming because he's going to come. And when he comes with, it's going to be with judgment. And he's, first of all, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, which is the promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit spoken about in Ezekiel chapter 37 and Joel chapter two. And he says he's going to baptize you with fire because to baptize with fire means to, the, the, the fires of judgment are going to be processed and it's going to purify the pure, destroy the wicked like chaff. Chaff is that, that, that residue that's just useless of a wheat stalk after the kernel of grain has actually been removed. And, John the Baptist was saying these proud and unrepentant leaders of the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were just just as useless to God as chaff. That was his point. Now, the Jewish leaders thought that the Messiah 
was going to come with judgment. They, they, they knew that. But only against Israel's enemies. They never thought of him coming to judge them. They were blind because they had their own self-righteous opinion and confidence that, oh, it's only other people who get to, need to get right with God because obviously, hey, we're, we're, we're sweet, we're good. And there's many people today who think the same thing. They're like, well, I'm good. I'm a good person. I don't do anything wrong. I don't hurt anybody. So, you know, obviously other people need God, but, you know. F.B. Meyer said this, John the Baptist is very sadly needed today. Much of what we call Christianity is but Christianized heathenism. We need that John the Baptist should come with his stern words about the axe, the winnowing fan, and the fire. Nothing less will avail to prepare the way for a new coming of Christ. I think there's a lot of, look, there's a lot of truth in that. And we can't water down the gospel message. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, uh, that's, that is, that, that's a message that's eternal. And it's a message that we shouldn't shy away from, nor should we water down. Okay, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you are coming to me. Uh, This is the emergence of Jesus. The starting of his ministry. The rise from obscurity to who he was to become. And these first works in his public ministry carry a lot of meaning in understanding the rest of his ministry because no one compelled Jesus to be baptized. He came to John of his own choice and he said, I need to be baptized by you and you are coming to me is what John the Baptist said. John recognized the irony of this situation. Jesus had nothing to repent of and it was going to be more appropriate for Jesus to baptize John. But Jesus answered in verse 15 and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him, then John the Baptist allowed Jesus to be baptized by him. What a humble thing that must have been for John the Baptist. Jesus understood why it was strange to John. He got it. But it was necessary to fulfill all righteousness. In order in order to make everything right with God, this was required. It wasn't that this one act in itself fulfilled all righteousness. It was an, an important step in the mission of Jesus to identify with man who was fallen and sinful and had been since the garden. And it was a mission that can only be finally fulfilled at the cross and then Jesus' subsequent resurrection. But it would be easy for any onlooker to think that Jesus was just another sinner being baptized if they were watching him walk up to John the Baptist. That's why Jesus was identifying with sinful man. F.F. Bruce, Christ's baptism might create misunderstanding, just as he's associating with publicans and sinners did. He was content to be misunderstood. (laughs) Jesus knew that people would make some of the wrong conclusions, draw some of the wrong conclusions, but he knew that he had a greater purpose. So he allows, John the Baptist allows Jesus to be baptized by him. The purpose was for Jesus to completely identify himself with sinful mankind. And and that's exactly what he did when he was born, through his birth, through his upbringing, through his death. And here, as John allowed him to be, Jesus stood in the place of sinful man to be baptized. G. Campbell Morgan, in baptism... Jesus confessed as his own sins which he had not committed and repented of them before God. 
He was numbered with the transgressors and bore the sins of many. It was the start of Jesus' ministry of taking on the sins of the world that he had not committed. But him repenting, him taking on that ministry of paying the price for our sin. There's also a sense in which this was an important new beginning. This baptism by John the Baptist was an important new beginning for Jesus, not in the sense that he was obviously turning from sin, but that he was making a break from his previous life up until this point. F.F. Bruce, in accordance with the symbolic significance of the rite as denoting death to an old life and rising to a new, Jesus came to be baptised in the sense of dying to the old natural relations to parents, neighbours and earthly calling and devoting himself henceforth to his public messianic vocation. So this is Jesus' start to his new ministry. Verse 16, Then when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It was important for God the Father to publicly demonstrate that Jesus' baptism was not like anybody else's uh, in the sense of being a display of repentance. It it, it was not a display of repentance. It was instead uh, a righteous identification with sinners motivated by love. And it was something that was well-pleasing to the Father. And the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus like a dove. That's a dramatic experience with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit of God coming upon Jesus in a way that could actually be seen, uh, somewhat similar to Acts chapter 2, the coming of the Spirit of God uh, upon the disciples who were gathered there. Luke chapter 3 verse 22 says it like this, The Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon Jesus. So in, in some way, the Spirit was present and flew down upon Jesus like a dove. Whatever it was, it was real. John chapter 1 verse 32 indicates that John the Baptist saw this phenomenon and he understood what it meant. Again, miraculous, supernatural. And it wasn't a temporary gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, John's testimony, John the Baptist's testimony in John chapter 1 verse 32, when he said that he saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained upon him. That was, that was an understanding of something that wasn't temporary. It was Jesus about to begin his public ministry and he was going to do it in the power of the Spirit of God. Spurgeon said this, it was the Spirit of God who gave success to Jesus Christ's ministry. Never forget, let the same power be in you that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, the power of the Holy Spirit. Never forget that Jesus, the Son of God, needed the Holy Spirit of God in order for him to fulfill the work of God the Father. The whole members of, or every member of the Trinity was required to work in unison in the form of Jesus in order for him to fully identify with us. David Guzik talks about how a dove represents the work of the Holy Spirit, and I kind of like this imagery. Like a dove, the work of the Holy Spirit can be swift. Like a dove, the work of the Holy Spirit can be soft and gentle. Like a dove, the work of the Holy Spirit brings peace. And like a dove, the work of the Holy Spirit is harmless. Like a dove, the work of the Holy Spirit speaks love. And this is what God 
showed to his son when he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When this voice of God the Father speaks from heaven, everyone knew that Jesus was not just some other man being baptized. They knew that he was the perfect man, the, the, the man in whom God was well pleased. He was the son of God. He was identifying with sinful man. And by this, everybody knew that Jesus was different. He wasn't like everybody else. Jesus was baptized so that he could identify with sinful man, but he was baptized to be identified to sinful man. And Luke 3.21 tells us that the heavens were open while Jesus prayed. And in this, God the Father expressed his approval of Jesus' life up until this point. And he says, he's done everything I've asked him to do up until now. And the Spirit of God descends, and we should never miss this obvious point, that God the Father loves God the Son and communicated that love by God the Holy Spirit. Love was communicated through all members of the Trinity, through the act of Jesus' obedient baptism. And here we see this wonderful relationship of love and this cooperation between the persons of the Trinity, where the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son are all manifested at exactly the same time. John A. Trapp says this, God so loved the Son that he gave him all the world for his possession in Psalm 2. But he so loved the world that he gave his son, and all for its redemption. Why why did Jesus need this connection to the Holy Spirit? R.T. France says this, We need not assume that Jesus had no previous experience of the Holy Spirit. The vision symbolizes his commissioning for his messianic work, not a new spiritual status. This is the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus like a dove as Jesus is about to start the most important three years of his ministry. What was actually going to allow him to do what he needed to do as the Messiah? Which leads me to my observation today. If Jesus, the Son of God, needed the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit, then why do we so often reject it and feel like we don't need it? Why do we think that we can do anything without the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit? And if you've never done that, I want you to ask for it today. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to read to you uh, a passage from Luke chapter 11, because I think this is so important uh, that I just want to read something. And I don't normally, you know, cross over from my uh, studies, but I want to read this to you. Luke chapter 11, uh, verses 9, 13, uh, 9 to 13. This is Jesus talking about, this is, this is Jesus himself talking about the need for the Holy Spirit that you and I have. And what will happen if we ask for the Holy Spirit? I say to you, ask, it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, he will give him, will he give him a stone? If he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you ask your heavenly Father for the fullness of the Holy Spirit, he's going to give you everything that will help you and not one thing that will hurt you. And some of you are fearful, and you should not be ever fearful of anything that God is going to give you, ever. That is a lie from the devil. 
and you should be embracing. And some of you have dealt with anxiety. Some of you have dealt with stress. Some of you have dealt with depression. And part of the reason for some of you why you're still dealing with that is because you're trying to deal with it without the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want you right now to just say a prayer. Heavenly Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit right now. And then what I want you to do after that is just start praising Jesus. That's that's the, the sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that spontaneous praise. And maybe God's going to give you a prayer language right now, which you can't do if you don't open your mouth. But he can do that if you'll start praising him. And you say, God, I need that gift of the Holy Spirit, and I know it's not going to sting me like a scorpion. I know just that you're my heavenly Father, and you're wonderful, and every gift that you give me is going to be an amazing gift. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, for every person right now that uh, would just desire that fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit, that they would just ask, Lord, right now, and they would receive that, God, that you would give them that gift. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow them to have the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit, that baptism with fire that allows them to rise up and, and through that power conquer the things that have been conquering them for so long in their lives and that they would live in victorious circumstances, Lord, that can only be had through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.